Lord. Well, we're going to continue talking about inheritance this morning, but I just wanted to tell a little story before we began. There was a little boy, and he was standing on the sidewalk, and he was just waiting there for the bus, and a man walked by and spotted the boy, and he gave him some really gentle instructions. He said, look, son, he said, uh, if you're waiting for the bus, you know, then you need to move to the street corner, because that's where the bus stop is. That's where he picks up the passengers, and the little boy said, it's okay, I'll just wait right here. The bus will stop for me. And uh, the man repeated his argument, trying to be a little more forceful, saying, no, son, you need to go to the street corner because that's where the bus stops. And the little kid said, no, 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 I'll just wait right here. And then as the guy is trying to explain a third time, all of a sudden the bus comes up behind him and stops right in front of the kid. And the kid walks past the man. The guy's completely bewildered. And he sees the kid getting up the stairs, and then the kid turns and looks at him. And he says, I knew the bus would stop here because the driver's my dad. Yeah. <laughs> you see... When it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, we've got to be just like that boy. We've got to know that he's going to stop for us because I'm his son, I'm his daughter. Do you hear me this morning? We've got to know at that same level of confidence that right where I am, God is going to meet me. If we don't understand that, there's no point in us talking about inheritance. We could, I could, you know, just give some of the best teaching in the world on inheritance, but if we don't know who we are, right, if we don't have, an, if we're still suffering from an identity crisis, then we're going to feel like when we get talking about inheritance, we get talking about all the things that are promised in the scripture, we're going to, we're going to feel like we're unworthy or we're not qualified or we have to work for it or we have to, you know, do certain things and say certain things and jump through particular hoops and over certain hurdles in order to be able to receive the things that God has said are there for his children. Amen? And so we need to understand, we need to understand clearly what the Word of God says about who's and who we are. We'll talk about that in a minute. And we talked about how a lot of things we're going to do during this series, uh, but we need to understand our, the nature of who we are before we can even get into it. So let's just look at our text again this morning, uh, Ephesians 1, 18 to 23, and uh, if you can see it, read it with me. If you've got your own Bible in front of you, read it out of there, but it says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power to us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all authority and rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen? And uh, as I encouraged you last week, you need to take some time and read that over every day. Turn to the scripture and read that every day as we settle into uh, this series together. Well, uh, who's, uh, who's are you? It's a big question. And uh, once again this past week, uh, the world was enthralled with another addition to the royal family, right? Uh, I mean, it was just pandemonium in, in uh, Great Britain, and people just, you know, on and gooing and everything else over uh, William and Kate 
their third child, little, uh, I believe his name was Louis Arthur Charles. Louis Arthur Charles uh, was born into the world. People gathered by the hundreds outside the hospital, outside Buckingham Palace, and thousands more watching on television to, uh, as the birth of Louis was announced. And, you know, one day, should Louis uh, live long enough to experience it, uh, he will be in line to be king, of course, behind his dad and his older brother. But he'll be in line to be king. Now, Prince Louis has done nothing to achieve this great feat. He is in line for the, to be the king of England, and he hasn't done a thing. At this stage, he's not quite a week old. He's probably done nothing but eat and poop and sleep. That's all he's done, right? And yet he's in line to be the king of England. And his dad, Prince William, what did he do to become the crown prince? What did he do to become the crown prince? Is he, has he been named the crown prince because, you know, he's, he's served in the military better than anybody else? Uh, because he is better looking than any other uh, crown family member? No, it's just because his dad is the son of the queen, right? And so, again, should he live long enough? They seem to be very long-lived families. So getting your opportunity at it doesn't come very, at a very young age. Uh, but then he, too, will inherit the throne. And he will have done absolutely nothing to qualify it. He gets the throne because it's his by birth. He was born a royal. Do you understand that? What did he do? He was born. What did he do? Born. He was born. He was born royalty. He was born a royal. That's it. You know, it's interesting that the Bible in describing you says that you are a chosen generation, a royal what? Priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. And what did you do to become a royal priesthood? You were born again. You were born into it. It's the only way you got it. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You didn't impress you know, Jesus so much that he just said, oh, I've got to have Tom in my family. That guy is an impressive dude. I want Tom as my son. And so all of a sudden, Tom, because he was such an impressive guy, that you know, wearing his receding hairline even better than me, I mean, just impressed the Lord so much that the Lord said, i got to have Tom. Right? Didn't say that about my wife, as awesome looking as she is. I mean, the Lord didn't say, i got to have Sherry because she's put up with Kevin all these years. I'm just going gonna, gonna to make her my daughter. She qualifies because of all the hard work she has invested in this relationship. Doesn't work that way. She's been able to invest the hard work because she's already royalty. How did she become royalty? She was born into it. She was born into it. That is the only way in, people. You don't work for it. You don't impress God enough to get it. In fact, the Bible says he's not impressed with anything we did to become righteous. He said, your, your efforts at righteousness are like filthy rags. If you know what that word means in Hebrew, it's toilet paper. That's what he looks at. Your efforts to be good, to earn God's favor, stink. You know why they stink so badly? Because he already gave his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be family. So when you think you can do it by hard work, that stinks. 
It's like when somebody blesses you. It's a small illustration, but somebody blesses you and they, they say, listen, I just want to bless you with this gift. And they give you a gift. Then you pull your wallet and say, can I pay you for it? It's insulting. You go, no, you can't pay me for it. It's a gift, you idiot. Isn't that what you feel like saying? You're, you're usually a little more gracious than that. But if it's a family member, you might word it that way. But, but the reality is, it was a gift. And the Bible says that salvation is what? A gift. It's the gift of God, not of works, so nobody gets to own it. Nobody gets to boast. Why is this so revelatory for us sometimes? Why do we live like we're, we're trying to earn it all the time? How do we get stuck in that kind of mode? Well, that's kind of what we're hoping to help you out with over the next number of weeks. You see, the truth of the matter is, you are who you are by right, by birth, and not by effort. Say, I am who I am by right. Say it again. I am who I am by right. That's how you got here. That's how you've been blessed. That's how you've received joy and peace and strength. It's by right of birth, not by effort. This is important. If you, if you can't get this right, Nothing else we say in the next number of weeks is going to make any sense to you at all. You have to understand this is how it comes to us. It comes to us this way. And if this is true in the natural, then it's so much more true in the spiritual. I know this may not be a word, but it's even truer. All right? There are things, Barry and I like to say, there are things that are true, and there are things that are more true. Right? It's true that all sin and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Would you agree? But it's more true. It's more true. Everybody say more true. That the gift of God is salvation, right? And I've been saved by grace. That's more true. It's true that I'm a filthy, rotten sinner. It's more true that I've been redeemed by his grace. That truth trumps the old truth, right? And so we need to understand that there are things that are true, but there are things that are amazingly more true. More true. And uh, I believe that this generation suffers from an identity crisis more than any generation that's probably come before. And there's a number of contributing reasons to that. Uh, you know, the sexual revolution of the 60s contributed to that as parents lost their identity in the midst of that revolution. And then they are having children and they don't know who they are and the children know even less. Uh, the other thing was that the... Uh, the uh, um, what do they call us? The baby boomers, if you will. Um, I'm the last of the baby boomers, but we were a very materialistic age uh, after World War II and all of the devastation that was in the world, all those born after World War II became very materialistic. It became about rebuilding. It became about things. And so it became very work-oriented and establishing things. And so they became the, the hardest working uh, age or, or generation to ever come, and they focused on building a better home, a better country, whatever, so they could give their children the most because they looked at their parents, and their parents suffered through the war. They said, we don't want that. We're going we're gonna to change it and, uh, and ended up raising spoiled kids. The, the children of baby boomers grew up with more wealth than any generation that ever came along. And so as a result of that, now those 
that generation is having kids, and, and they've been raised in a vacuum, many of them, for the first time, a lot of fatherless homes, a lot of uh, single-parent homes since the 1960s and since the re- sexual revolution and all the rest of it. I mean, it is stacked against this generation like never before, walking around, don't know who they are, and getting all the wrong answers from the secular media. Because the, the answer's in the Word of God. It tells you who you are. It starts with the fact that you're royalty. You are a son or a daughter. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Seeing those kids walk around those t-shirts today, it's like that is it right there. Fearfully and wonderfully made. That is who we are. So we need to know that the truth of who I am is not discoverable until I know whose I am. Once I understand that I am property of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I can work on my identity, who I am in him, what I've been called to be in him, uh, how he wants me to look and talk and sound and feel. Uh, I need to know that I'm his first, that, that I'm, I'm his loved uh, and, and, and prized possession before I can start walking around and, and understanding my identity. So then once we understand those two things, then we can get into inheritance and we will get into that in a few weeks, but let's talk this morning a little further about the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Just thought I'd call it that. <clears throat> so we have to talk, like I said, about uh, whose we are, who we are, and to whom we belong. You've heard us use these words before in church, and I think in 2016 we did a whole series on I am who I am says I am, and we talked a lot about this. Um, so you've heard it before. However, Uh, You may have heard some of this before, but you're also going to hear things you've not heard before. Why? Because some of the stuff we're going to share is stuff that we've just recently started to go, wow, that is an amazing way to look at that revelation and that understanding in the Word of God. There are some things as I was preparing for this series that I'd never even seen in the Scripture before, and I was like, it jumped off the page at me, and I was like, wow, that's going to my book because that is good. And uh, I'd I'd never even seen it before. So, is it new? Ultimately, no, because the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun in Ecclesiastes. So, uh, it's not like anything we're going to discover here uh, catches God off guard. He went, wow, I I didn't know that. It's not new to him. It might be new to us, but it's not new to him. Therefore, it's not really new because it's been in him all along. Someone say amen. Amen. And if you want to understand how this works, all you got to do is look at the world and all the marvelous technologies that we enjoy today, you know? Uh, I, w- I remember once I was with Rick uh, Langstaff, and we went and stopped at this uh, uh, air- aeronautics business in, um, in uh, what, Whitby it is, and the guy had an office there, and I'm sitting in his office, and we're just chatting about avionics and missions, and, uh, and this guy is, has his pilot license, he has his uh, helicopter pilot license, and so I happened to pull down off the bookshelf uh, a book, I said, do you mind if I just take a look? He goes, oh, no, 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 go ahead, and and uh, so while we're, Rick and him were talking all different dynamics about flights and stuff and flight schedules and getting aid into Haiti and all that kind of thing, uh, I was kind of out of that conversation. So I sat down with this book on helicopter flight theory, and I opened this thing up, and my mind was blown. I don't know how man ever figured out how to make a helicopter. The mathematical theory behind helicopter flight is extremely complex. I mean, equations so long, you, you know, you'd need uh, the full chalkboard just to write them out. There was equation after equation after equation in this book. The people who figured out how to make a helicopter fly are 
geniuses. I'm not kidding you. It is the goofiest thing in the world. And as I began to read it, my mind was blown. I'm not going to pretend I understood all the math in it. I mean, I was pretty good in math in high school, but this was some pretty advanced stuff. But I did understand some of the things that it was saying in there that I never knew before. Like, like for example, that a helicopter blade doesn't just go around like this, right? And you know, you know you'll see it's slightly tilted, right? It's tilted so the air hits it and it lifts, right? But did you know that it's, when it's at this position, it's this way. When it's this position, it's straight. And when it's this position, it's that way. And did you know that it's rolling like that? <laughs> the whole time it's going around at the incredible revolutions, it's, when it's all at the right-hand position, it's always like this. When it's forward, it's always like that. When it's on this side, it's always the opposite way. And, it, and it's straight again at the back. And it's rolling around like that, faster than the eye can see, and it's doing this the whole time, and it's creating lift that way. Did you also know the whole housing then tilts like this to attack the air to make the thing go forward? Geniuses. Freaking geniuses. I don't care what anyone says. These are some smart people. Smart people. It's absolutely mind-blowing. And you know why there's a little propeller on the back? To keep the helicopter body from going around like this because the blades are trying to spin like this. The motor's spinning around like that, and you got to keep the thing underneath it straight. So you got this propeller on the back to keep the thing straight. You shoot the tail off, and the helicopter spins around like this until it goes into the ground. And you get one incredible circus ride as you're as you're going down to the ground. It's also the thing that, 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 that helps the helicopter stay flat and level. And it does its whole pivoting nonsense too. It's crazy. Completely crazy. I read that thing and my mind was blown. Blown. Someone say blown. And, and, and folks, that's just one aspect of flight. That's helicopter flight. Some of this stuff is some seriously crazy stuff. And so when you look at that, you go, man, it's incredible that they invented flight. But here's the thing. The mathematics, the laws, the principles that go into flight existed before they invented it. Do you understand that this morning? They existed before they invented it. Newton's law of motion didn't create gravity. just explained how it worked. Gravity was there before Newton explained it. Right? It was there. How many know nobody floated off the planet before Newton explained how gravity worked, right? And uh, before he came up with his laws of motion, I mean, everybody was walking about their day, you know, you, everything worked the same way. You walk off a cliff, you fall straight down. I mean, these things all took place, but Newton was able to explain it and was able to come up with the mathematics and stuff around it and create the model to explain how it worked. Uh, give me, let me give you another example. Uh, e equaled mc squared. Energy equaled the speed, uh, mass times the speed of light squared long before Einstein ever postulated the theory. The theory of relativity, he didn't create what the, 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 all is behind it. He just explained it. Do you understand what I'm saying? God created it. Einstein just explained it. Do you get that this morning? So we're not, talking, we're not talking that these guys actually created anything. They just explained what's already there. This is important for us to understand because biblical truth is sometimes just like that. The truth has always been there, but it's been waiting to be discovered. Think about that for a minute. It's been there. It was, it was there even before it was written down, right? The truth of the nature of God and, 
and his relation with humanity dates back to the garden. And when it finally got wrote down and the books of the Bible were, were inspired by the Holy Spirit and the authors wrote them down and stuff, but the, thing, the truths that are in there were true before they wrote them. Does everybody grasp that? Am I going too fast for anybody? This is important for us to understand. So let me give you an example of this. Martin Luther. Martin Luther, the, the, we just celebrated this past year in 2017 the, the uh, birth, uh, the 50th, 500th anniversary, I should say, of the Reformation. And Martin Luther is considered to be the architect of the Reformation. And Martin Luther was inspired by Galatians 3.11, that the just shall live by faith. Right? The just shall live by faith. It was like revelation. And he peeled back all the religious nonsense that had developed in the church over the last uh, 1,000 to 1,200 years. And, and he was able to articulate something. Now, did, did Martin Luther write Galatians 3.11? Did, did he create the understanding or did he create the knowledge or the experience that the just shall live by faith? No. What did he do? He simply rediscovered it. He uncovered something that had been hidden for like 1,200 years since about the second or third century of the church. That's, it's remarkable. It's mind-blowing. But Martin Luther was simply uh, uncovering something that had been hidden to the, to, the, to the religious leaders, to the people in the pews that we'd lost for over a millennia. Can you imagine that? Over a millennia, it had been lost. Hard for us to imagine now because we just, we go, well, yeah, duh, the just shall live by faith, absolutely. Saved by grace, you got it. Mm-mm, not before Martin Luther. You were saved through the church. You were saved through keeping the sacraments. You were saved through, you know, buying you know, indulgences and all kinds of other things that we look at. We don't even know what they're talking about. But in the day, that's how people thought you got to God. Martin Luther began to pull back the veil on that. And he said, no, 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 the just. The just are going to live by faith. The just are going to live by faith. And the truth is built precept upon precept, the Bible says. As one revelation comes, uh, then another can be established on top of it. And the more accumulated revelation that there is than the more that can be revealed. And that's why I believe that there's greater understanding in the church of Jesus Christ today than there was when Martin Luther made his, his uh, discovery 500 years ago. So in other words, the more we understand, the more we discover. And this, is, this is important. Because sometimes I think we could be guilty of saying, why do I need to read the Bible? Because we've already figured everything out. Right? I mean, we know. We, we, I mean, look how far ahead of where, where we were when the, you know, Martin Luther uh, rediscovered you know, that the just shall live by faith. We've just come so far. But that would be just like saying, you know what, we don't need to invent anything more. We should close the patent office. Nothing more is going to be invented. Just close that thing up because everything that's ever going to be invented has already been invented. That was actually a position of the patent office person in the 1890s, I think. He said, we should just fold this thing up. It's a waste of government money because everything that really is going to be invented has been invented. <laughs> there are more patent wars going on today than at any probably point in history. And the discoveries, because the more you discover, the more there is to be discovered. The more you understand, the more there is to be discovered. Somebody say amen. amen. And, and I think this is true spiritually as well. I believe God's working the same way in the church. Let me show you how that works. So it began with the Protestant Reformation, right? 
but it didn't end there. So what happened after that? The church moved to abolish the slave trade, right? The church raised our consciousness for the poor and the infirmed, okay? The church uh, built hospitals and advanced medicine. The people of God did these things in the years after the Reformation. Are you hearing me this morning? Then we acquired a fresh passion for the lost and for world missions. World missions soared under the, the Protestant Reformation. I mean soared. And souls started to get saved. And Hudson Taylor went to China. And, and, and people went to South America and Central America. And, and they came to the Americas here and, and, and began to preach the gospel. I mean, it was astounding the pace that things began to pick up. We experienced fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We witnessed the restoration of the evangelist to the church. I mean, this is good stuff. John Wesley, Whitfield, uh, you know, uh, all of these different individuals came up in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. Are you hearing me this morning? But it didn't end there, folks. The pace has quickened in the last 100 years. In the last 100 years, there's been a restoration of the spirit of prophecy, restoration of the apostolic church, renewed passion for worship. I mean, the stuff that's happened in worship, uh, we went from Gregorian chants with virtually no melody to where there are places where you can go and there's worship going 24 hours a day, people just adoring the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is, is incredible stuff. We've reengaged the seven mountains of culture. Uh, you know, we've renewed a love for his church regardless of denomination. We've got stuff happening nowadays in cities and things that, that couldn't have happened 30 years ago because the borders and the boundaries between denominations were so strong we couldn't work together. That stuff's all coming down. Restoration of victorious eschatology, which I'll talk to you about one of these days coming up. But all of these things, all of these things, everybody say all of these things. All of these things are proof that when, when we get one thing restored, when we get, when we get uh, understanding of one thing, it opens up the door for more. Now again, is anything that we're discovering, is it, is it like we're creating new theology? No. We're just coming to understand what's always been there. It just gets hidden by religion. It gets buried under a weight of religion. Now, I'm not saying that religion's all bad. Religion is man attempting to understand his relationship with God. But unfortunately, many times, the further we get away from the Bible and the more we get involved in creating our own structures and nuances and offices and, and all that kind of stuff, the further we get to that, the further we get away from the understanding of his heart and his nature. God is restoring that to the church. And I believe the things that we're going to come to understand that are already in the Word, but we're going to come to understand them afresh in the next 10 years are going to be mind-boggling. We are going to soar as the church of Jesus Christ globally and see greater victory, greater authority, because we're going to come into deeper relationship with Him. And things that we couldn't even imagine 10 years ago are going to blow our minds. Are you hearing me? I believe that's how it's going to go. It has to go. It has to go that way. Because the world needs us to rise up and be the sons and the daughters of God that he called us to be. The Bible says all creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. In other words, they're waiting for us to show up and show off. To demonstrate the glory of God to this world. To stop hiding. To stop apologizing. To stop, and I don't mean by this to be obnoxious. I just mean to be somebody who's filled with joy, filled with love, filled with compassion everywhere you go. So that you're the person who, who is the go-to person in any environment whether, where you work. You're the person they talk to. I read an article this morning how one of the, the ten finalists on American Idol is a, a Liberty 
university student. And uh, they asked him if it was hard being a Liberty University student in the midst of it. He said, absolutely not. He said, in fact, he's now one of the, the, fi the final 10 people in the show. And he said, no, he said, I just get them coming up and asking me every day questions about God. Everybody wants to know about God. You see, when you're not an idiot, people want to know about God. And it's hard, it's tempting, it's so tempting to become one of those obnoxious religious people. Because then you've got, you've got, you've got really clearly defined boundaries then, and, and we tend to like boundaries and structure. So if you get it all really clearly defined and cookie-cuttered and, and everything else, then you've got an answer for everything, and then, you know, it doesn't matter if, it, if you offend 90% of the people you talk to, but at least you've got it all figured out. Well, if you've got it figured out, all figured out, please come and talk to me, because, you know, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to get it all figured out. The reality is, is that God is so vast. There's so much about him to know that I can spend the rest of my life getting to know him better and ha have an increase every day in my understanding and still just be scratching the surface. Somebody say amen. If that's not true, then we should find somebody else to worship because that's how God should be. Are you hearing me? He should be mind-blowingly vast. After all, he created the entire cosmos. So that God should be mind-blowingly vast. That doesn't mean that he hasn't revealed himself to us. He has through his word. But don't become one of those religious people who just goes out there and condemns people all the time. Not cool. Not cool. You give the church a bad name. Try love instead. But you don't understand, pastor, they're in sin. I know that. I know that. But Jesus is the one that takes away their sin. And if they ask you, hey, is, is this thing that I'm doing, do you think that's sinful? Then you can tell them. Then you can tell them. Or if you see something, somebody you know, shooting heroin up their veins, you can say, you know, that's, let's find a better way. Let's find a better way to live. Let's find, you know what I mean? Because like, they're harming themselves, right? But, but, you know, you don't need to go around just being God's crusader of justice all the time. People, you know what the old saying says, and it's so true, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So if you haven't loved on them first, they're not interested in your opinion. Hello? Am I making any sense to anybody? But if you love on them first, they're probably going to listen to what you have to say. You're going to be the go-to person. You're going to be the person that comes and say, can you explain this to me? And you say, I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. Why? Because... They know you love them. And when you love them, you open up doors for all kinds of things. That's why the Bible says that love covers, what? A multitude of sins, including yours and mine. <laughs> I mean, it seems so simple. It's amazing how we get away from it. Over and over and over again we get away from it. Okay. Um, let, me, uh, let me move on here. Uh, can you guys get those uh, chairs for me? I want to do something this morning. I want to illustrate for you. The, uh, maybe I'll go to this side, yeah. This, this is something we, we, we read a book this recently that has really helped us understand what we're, gonna, we're trying to talk about, about inheritance. And that one goes right in the middle, dear. And, uh, and I want to illustrate it for you this morning. That's perfect. Yeah, move them up and I'll stand behind them. That's it. Move them up and I'll get behind them. Isn't that nice to have a rolling pulpit? It's so cool. 
That's awesome, right like that. Here we go. Okay. So we have three chairs in front of us this morning. And uh, every one of us is seated in a chair. Our posture of life is in one of these chairs. Now, um, for those of you who don't like the color of this fabric, I apologize, but uh, it is a little loud. Uh, but anyway, uh, we all begin here in what uh, the author had called chair three. This is, the, this is the lost. Every one of us at one point was lost. We were, we were lost in our, in our sins, right? And then we come to Christ. But how many know we're motivated to come to Christ out of self-preservation and self-interest, Right? Not very many ever came to Jesus and said, oh, Jesus, I just want to come to you because I just want to uh, just give myself away, die a martyr instantly. No, uh, I, I just want to be completely empty and there's nothing in it for me, just all for you. I mean, I don't think any of us are really that altruistic out of the gate. Do you know what I mean? It, we, we go and say, God, I'm in trouble. I need help. And he says, uh, I'm there for you. And so we come to Christ and we're seated in chair two. And this is the kingdom of self. When you're in chair two, it's this kingdom of self. Who's in charge? Well, really, I mean, Jesus has saved me, but I'm still in charge, right? And unfortunately, most people rarely get out of that chair. That's where they spend most of their Christian walk is in chair two, where we've given our life to Christ, but I'm still in the driver's seat. I'm still calling the shots because after all, turning control over to somebody else is quite frankly frightening. So if I can just keep all those little ducks in the air, and some of you have become professionals at it. Just living from that chair, you know Jesus, but you know, you've, just, you've got everything under control. So just leave, leave it all to me. It's okay, God, I got this. Right? And that's how we're living our Christianity. Religious people love this chair. Because that's where they create all their systems and all their structures and everything, everything is definable. So we're, we're here. But God is constantly calling us to this chair. To the throne. To chair number three. The kingdom of God. Or chair number one, I should say. The kingdom of God. He wants us to move from that third chair to the second chair, to the premier chair. To the chair of the kingdom of God. He doesn't want you to be stuck in two or three. He wants you to be seated in this chair. And this is the chair of inheritance. This is the chair of, of knowing whose I am and who I am. And this is the chair that breaks us out of religious bondage and sets us free to be able to truly be a son, a daughter, of God, to become that joint heir with Jesus Christ. But in order to get here, we've got we've to take a step of faith and confess Christ as Savior. Then we've got to move over to this chair where we came to God and we're, we're sitting there uh, living life, but, but still literally understanding that we're, we're trying to do it in our own strength, and then finally submit to Jesus and come over to chair one, come over to the kingdom of God. This is where he wants us to live. And if we don't make this transition, if we just stay in this chair all our life and we deny God, we deny His existence, if we deny His personhood, we just, we're here and we're here for all of eternity. But you know what? It's, it's, it's unfortunate that many people leave this chair and, and come to Christ, but they never get out of that chair. And they stay there almost their entire Christian walk. Living as a chair two person. Never listening and answering his call to come over to chair number one. But God wants us to live 
And he wants the church to be firmly positioned in chair number one. And we can't do it collectively till we all do it individually. We need to, as individuals, find ourselves in this chair. This is the chair of intimacy with Christ. This is the chair of, that comes from relationship. This is the chair that comes from hearing his voice, walking with him. Not just talking about him, but walking with him. This is where God's calling us all to. And this is, for our Western cultural mindset, very difficult chair to get into. Because we like to think that we are self-made people. Rugged individualism. The first words out of our kid's mouth after mommy and daddy are, I do myself. Right? And we, I do myself as Christians too. We get, into, we get saved and we're, I do myself. Thanks Jesus for saving me, but I got it from here. Right? It doesn't work that way. So the guys have a handout here. I'm going to get them to pass this out to you this morning and as I close it up, I'm just going to read through this. Um, you may not understand all that's on it. It's got just the poster of our inheritance on the front, but it's the back of the sheet that has a chart comparing the two chairs. So if you look on the back of it, you'll see this chart on the back of it. Oh, I forgot my fancy slide here. Oh, wow. Which one of these chairs are you seated in? I was supposed to be doing this when I was illustrating. Chair one, chair two, or chair three? Isn't that cool? <laughs> Which chair are you seated in? So let's, let's flip that over. Flip that chart over, and I'm just going to read through it with you. I'm just going to read through it with you. All right? Chair one versus chair two. Chair one versus chair two. I don't think everybody's got one yet. As you can see, I knew it would be hard to see on the screen. That's why I printed them off for you. So, you know, isn't that nice of me? I printed off 100 copies. If I need more, I'll have them out for next week. Um, if we, we might not have enough, so if couples want to share for now, that'd be great, and I'll put more of them out next week. That would be awesome. So let's compare what it is to, to live in chair two as a, as a Christian, but, but trying to do it all on your own, uh, you know, not recognizing how, how, what life is like if you'll submit fully to Christ and live in chair one. Let's compare what those two experiences are like. So in chair one, chair one is the kingdom of God. Chair two is the kingdom or the dominion of self, right? Chair one is love-based. Chair two is fear-based. Now think about that. How many people live their Christianity from fear? Fear of punishment from God? Fear that they failed God? Fear that they've missed God? Fear that if they, if they didn't get it right this time, they're never going to have a good relationship with God? I know so many people that live out their Christianity in fear. Fear that if they love somebody else, they may not return the love? I mean, it's, it's incredible. Chair one is rooted in sonship, but... Chair two is rooted in the orphan spirit. It's rooted in the orphan spirit. This next one, uh, chair one, we experience the dove, the Holy Spirit's habitation. We experience Holy Spirit as somebody who is with us all the time. But when you're in a chair two life, 
you experience the dove's visitation. Only occasionally does he show up, and when he does, well, miraculous things happen. But they always happen through a speaker, through somebody who's a, a teacher or a pastor, an evangelist. They don't actually happen through me. But when we're living from chair one, we can be at the supermarket and pray for somebody and they're healed. We can be anywhere, and we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are his hands. We are his feet. That's the chair one experience. Now, this next one's really important, and we'll probably do some preaching on this. But in chair one, in the kingdom, we live first from being, right? Be. Who has God called me to be? Who has he made me to be? Who I am. And then, once I, I, I understand who I am, then I understand what I have. I understand what I have. And then once I understand everything that I have, then I'm able to fulfill the assignment that God has called me to do. Right? Does everybody get that? That's how the kingdom's supposed to work. But unfortunately, most Christians and those who are lost, we get saved and we still keep the same approach. That we go out and we do, 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 work, 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 work. Uh, slave, 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 so that we can acquire things, so that we can get a house, we can get a family, we can get a nicer car, a nicer truck, so we can get a bigger TV, so we can get, 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 acquire, 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 have, 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 and bigger position, better place of employment, et cetera, et cetera, so that then we can tell people who we are, right? I do so that I can have, so that I'm able to say, well, I'm a doctor at such and such hospital, or I'm the manager of this. And we find all of our identity flowing out of the things that we've completed, all of the things that we have, which were rooted in all the work that we did. That's the way the world thinks. And many times Christians are just like that. I meet so many pastors, and you can't even have a conversation with them about anything except for what they're doing. It's like, dude, can we just talk? Really, can we just have a conversation? Oh, you know, last week we just we we were down in such and such a country. We laid hands on all these people, and all these thousands got saved. And then I prayed for this person, and they got healed. And, and I went to this thing, and I kicked off this ministry here. And then I started this, and I started that. And I'm like, <sighs> I'm no more impressed than I'm sure Jesus is. Jesus isn't impressed with all the doing. Jesus is impressed with your being. When I get a conversation with another pastor and he tells me about just how amazing God has been to him and his love relationship with the Lord, and he starts talking about just how, how, how life is just, he can't, can't explain how awesome it is to be God's child. Then I go, this is a real person. I can talk to this person. But the ones that go on and on, I remember the first conference my wife and I went to, a, a pastor's conference. Never been to one. So we're going, we're just, we're just we just need we're just needy people. We're just needing, we're needing a touch from the Lord. We're needing some understanding. We're needing to know how to do this better. You know, uh, we're, we're, just, we're just in need. We step in there, and everybody we talked to, everything was going perfect. Every single one of them. Oh, they had, you know, this huge ministry going. The church has grown by 30% last year. Blah, 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 blah. We left and we went, what are we doing wrong? Then I realized they were all lying. They're, it's not that they're intentionally lying. It's just that they're, they're living out of chair two. And everything was just about having to explain to everybody all the things that we have and all the things we've accomplished so that their identity, identity can be established instead of living under the, the kingdom of God. Who am I? I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm a, I'm a prince. I am a wonderful person of the royal family. Hallelujah. That's who I am. I'm just loved by Jesus. And I... And I go into Starbucks, and I'm just, I'm not Pastor Reverend Kevin Dowling. I'm just loved by Jesus. 
And I sit down and talk to all the employees and just as somebody who's loved by Jesus. And they flock to us. They come over to us. They do coffee tastings with us. They sit down and talk with us all day long. Why? Because we're just people who are loved by Jesus. And they think that's awesome. Are you hearing me this morning? And then we get to tell them about Jesus, which is a wonderful thing. All right, let's move on because i got to get through this. My time's running out. Uh, chair one, people, uh, it prioritizes identity and intimacy over inheritance and destiny. But chair two prioritizes inheritance and destiny over identity and intimacy. Hello? Come on. Uh, chair one wants to bring heaven to earth, but chair two wants to get from earth to heaven. The whole focus is just about getting to heaven, about getting to heaven, about getting to heaven. Get in heaven, the place that's going to be, and he's going to create a new one. But you just can't wait to get there. And then you don't realize that after he creates a new one, he's also creating a new earth, and you're probably going to spend most of your time on earth. So, <laughs> you know, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, but that's all about escaping. Uh, chair one lives from God. Chair two lives for God. This is huge. We live from our experience with God and our relationship with God. Not to earn it, not for it. Uh, in chair one, the believer's Touch cleanses the world. But people in chair two are always concerned that the world's touch corrupts the believer. Oh, I don't want to send my kids to university because if they go to university, they're going to lose their faith. Uh-uh. Send them to university and they'll start a revival. If you're a chair one person, we don't walk around in fear of that, right? Go back to uh, the number two one. We're love-based, not fear-based. Are you hearing me? Chair one people sets the uh, temperature like a thermostat. We're the ones that set the mood in the room. But, you know, a chair two people measures the temp temperature like a thermometer. You want to know if you're talking to a chair two Christian, they'll be the one that says, oh man, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> just look how evil the world is, Pastor. It's terrible. It's getting worse every day. Hopefully Jesus comes back soon because it just can't get much worse than it is right now. Oh, my goodness, it's awful, 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 awful. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Did you see what's in the news today? Did you see this? Did you see that? Chair two person right there. Yeah, I see that, that, that there's evil in the world. I got a news flash for you. There's always been evil in the world. Ever since the garden, it's been there. Someone say amen. And like I've explained many times before, you think the world's dark now? Look at the world Jesus was born into, where a king could say, go out and kill every child who's under the years, two years of age, because I'm a little paranoid that one of them might be a, a new king. Slaughter them all. And the soldiers go, okay. And they just go do it. Hello? Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. There's been a lot of darkness in history. A lot of darkness in history. And you're looking at a very small window. We always tend to look at history through a small window. That's why I think we need to be people who read history. You need to know what the world looked like in World War II. You need to know how desperate it was in World War I. You need to understand uh, what it was like to live through the, you know, the, the, the Black Death and the bubonic plague and, and, and how sick the world was, both physically and spiritually. Open your eyes and see that God is doing such amazing things. The world is on an accelerated path. With, and with technology, it's just enabling us to do stuff for the kingdom we couldn't even dream of doing before. You want to be a missionary before, you had to spend two and a half months on a boat just to get to where you were going. Now you hop on a plane, eat a meal, get off the plane, you're there. Is anybody hearing me at all? 
All right, let's uh, go on here. The uh, chair one people treat people according to their potential. We treat people according to their potential. But when you're stuck in chair two, you treat people according to their history. Oh, boy. Could we preach a week on that? My word. We treat people according to their potential. When you see somebody, you don't see a dirty, rotten sinner. You see somebody Jesus loves, and you go, man, what he can do with that person. And when you treat people according to their potential, guess what? They usually come up to it. Hello? Same with your children. Don't keep telling your children that they're, they're dumb or they're stupid or they can't do this or they can't do that. No, treat them according to their potential. Help them come up to it. And, I, and I'm telling you, they will. They will. Uh, chair one people influence the world, but chair two people are influenced by the world. Chair one people are confident in hearing God's voice. Chair two people are afraid of being misled. Well, you know, we've got to watch that prophecy, Pastor, because, you know, you could mislead somebody. I don't want to be prophesying over people and prophesying something's wrong. You know, I don't, you know, I don't really listen for God in prayer. I just go only by his word because, I mean, you know, I, I might hear, you know, my own inclinations and my own thoughts. And I don't want to get down some path that I shouldn't be down. Fear. Hello. Chair one, people. Uh, God's pleasure. Experience God's pleasure without performing. Chair two, people. Experience pressure to perform. Thank God when I started to get set free from that. When I was first pastoring, man, I, I was a performer like you could not believe. I just did, 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 work, 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 do, 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 go, go, go all the time. Now I'd rather be with my grandkids. Although that's not an invitation to you guys to live with us ad infinitum. At some point you have to move out, just, just to make that clear. And, and finally, chair one people, chair one people are at rest. And this is where we want to finally get to as we talk about inheritance. Inheritance is experienced at the place of rest. Chair two people are restless, never satisfied, never content, never able to just sit back and experience God for who God is and enjoy life as who God made you to be. Always restless. God deliver us from restlessness. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. For the next number of weeks, if it's okay, we're going to keep these three chairs here at the front. We're just going to have a living illustration. We'll find another chair for me to sit on. <laughs> but uh, we'll just put them around the front. I don't know if there'd be room for them on stage. If there is, maybe we can work them up there. But, but we'll make sure we have them on display because I want them to be a constant reminder to you of what we're going to be talking about and how God is calling us into the kingdom of God to live for and, uh, from, I should say, and, and into our rest from chair one. That's where God's calling us to. Father, we just thank you today that, that nothing that I've shared today is, is uh, Father, new. It's in your heart. It's been in your heart right from the beginning. But, Father, for many of us, uh, uncovering it and discovering it and walking in it is new. Because, Lord, we've been working so hard to be good chair two people that we've never understood that, God, you have redeemed us and called us as princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. You've set us up as royalty, and we're to function from that place of royalty. Father, I pray today that you would bless and encourage and speak, and Father, to people's hearts, and as we leave this place, that we would be encouraged through the Word of God, Father, to lay down our chair two mindsets and to step into the kingdom of God, into chair one, and to work from the place of rest. In Jesus' name, amen.